Um, would you like me to let you get on, get settled in, or are, are you uh, ready to go? I know, go. It's the, I know it's the end of the day. I want to make sure you're good. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll start the we'll start the whole thing if you're ready. Ready to go. Okay, excellent. Hey, this is Mark Justice, and welcome back to Between the Lines. Today, kiddies, we've got a pretty fun interview. We're going to be talking with Matthew Denian. Uh, Matthew's written some uh, pretty fun books, kaiju books, big monster books like Atomic Rex and Chimera, Final Host, and Polar Yeti. Um, so, Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you reaching out to me uh, to be on the show. I'm, I'm very excited uh, to talk about writing monster books and monsters in general and uh, whatever else you want to talk about as well. Excellent. That sounds good. I, we're going to have a good time. Um, well, I guess, you know, I like to start with, with big picture kind of questions and kind of goes back. I, I think there's a lot of things that happened to us in our early years are foundational to what we become later on, how we respond to things. So uh, growing up, who were some of your favorite writers or at least some of your favorite books? I was a huge fan of like the Edgar Rice Burroughs books. Um, so like Tarzan, Lucidar, the John Carter books. Um, I always really enjoyed the uh, fast pace and high action uh, that he would put into his stories uh, where I felt like um, he did a good job of like having character development and um, engaging you with the characters without um, sacrificing any of the fun or the adventure or the action you could have in a book. So I try to emulate that in my writing. Oh, nice. Yeah, that, that's good. Um, yeah, those, there's a lot of imagination. I love that era too you know those pulp writers um and 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 i grew up reading uh lee falk's the phantom um yeah yeah, and then um a lot of hg wells and things like that you know mary shelley's um doc savage fan uh, you know i never oh yeah i shadow uh, i never really got the doc savage um but like the shadow was always around because my dad liked it and he was a huge phantom fan which is how i got into it um same thing with like flash gordon you know, yeah. those kind of characters. And then I started getting into when I was a teenager, I started buying the um, the Tarzan books. And just I, I really liked the idea of collecting books at the time. Like, in, and there's yeah, a series, yeah. like, there was like 30 Tarzan books, like, you know, and they were thin and like cheap. Um, I'm like, well, I, I just got to have them. And the covers were just so really awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just thought those are just tremendous, tremendous fun reads. You know, so I, uh, I totally, totally understand that that connection to Rice Burroughs. Um, so, what it what attracted you to the the kaiju genre? Oh, well, that was easy. Um, uh, my dad, as a kid, he was a big um, like sci-fi um, monster fan, and I'm, I'm sure you, you might be able to remember this too. Um, he would sit down with me and my brother on Saturday afternoons and watch like. Um, you know, used to have creature features on like public access TV type of stuff. Um, so he was a big fan of um, Ray Harryhausen. So we always would watch the yeah. Harryhausen movies they were on. Oh, yeah. You know, like those classics, uh, Beast and 20,000 Phantoms, 20 Million Miles to Earth, uh, Jason and the Argonauts, you know, um, on and on. And of course, we would get a lot of the uh, the Godzilla and Gamera movies mixed in there, too, which were always enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, uh, it was definitely those films uh, which got me hooked at a young age. Yeah. I, I remember seeing our local theater had this like, summer program um, where it was like 10 movies. For, I think there was like a, I don't know, maybe a dollar a piece or, like, you know, during the summer or something. It was just so cheap or even 50 cents a piece. It was ridiculous. And one of the movies they showed, there were two Sinbad movies they showed, like Seventh Voyage. And I think um, maybe Sinbad in the Eye, that, or was it was it the Golden Voyage at Sinbad, I think, or was Sinbad? 
Where's that? Seventh I think it might have been the They're all seventh, good. Yeah, seventh, yeah, seventh voyage, and then um, Jason and the Argonauts. I mean, you know, these yeah. were classic movies that to see, I'd seen them on television, but, but never seen them on the big screen. You know, and that, that's a whole other kind of experience. It's so immersive oh, that way. You know, no, I I totally get that. And then growing up with local horror hosts out of Cleveland, we were always watching monster movies. And then, you know, Superhost had Godzilla and Gamera. I mean, and then Ultraman and Johnny Sacco. Sure. From like yeah. the smallest memories, like four years old, watching these things when I came home from school, you know. Um, so do you have a favorite kaiju movie? And let's look, kaiju means giant monster, kids. I don't think of a, I haven't explained it clearly enough. It's right. a Japanese word meaning giant monster or terrible beast. Um, so do you have a, a favorite kaiju um, I, at, as a creature, who's your favorite? Um, I'm actually a bigger uh, Kong fan than anything, um, probably because uh, with those movies I would see as a kid, um, the first, uh, 1933 Kong was one of the first movies I can remember seeing. And just, I mean, fell in love with that movie. It's got such a fast pace, and especially as a young kid, like, you know, before you know it, you're on the island and Kong's fighting dinosaurs. And um, then he's in New York and he's rampaging through and you've got the love story, which even as a young kid, you know, you can relate to because um, you might not get romantic love as a young kid, but you might like love your dog. So you kind of get that, <laughs> yeah. you know, like connection, right? right. That, uh, like for uh, Kong and Anfield for each other. Yeah. Um, that's probably my favorite um, kaiju overall. Um, favorite movie tends to um, change depending on the mood I'm in. You know, uh, so like if I want something kind of dark and gritty, I'm a big fan of uh, the GMK Godzilla with like Mothra, King Gidra, Bargon. Yeah. Um, it's fun, but at the same time, like sometimes I just want something that's really off the wall and goofy. So I can watch like a Godzilla versus Megalon and really enjoy it. You know, it just kind yeah. of depends on um, what I'm in the mindset for at that time. Sure. I love GMK. I think it's one of the strongest entries in the whole series um, because it's so dark and it's a retelling of like of you know especially king Ghidorah uh or Ghidorah, however you want to pronounce it king Ghidorah's right. um, um origins in a way all of them those these protector spirits and right. and and that concept of though even though it's a villain doesn't mean it can't be heroic yeah. and 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 you know they they brought some power and potency to godzilla's atomic breath weapon um where it's like literally a bomb going off in the distance i mean and and the, the design was really really kind of frightening with the, yeah, the soulless more, white eyes i mean it's just a creepy design yeah, it's more of like a horror design it has a very lovecraftian feel to it um uh which uh, your defense on no, like hp uh, lovecraft is very known for like cosmic horror type stuff yes and uh, gmk would fall into that and i did like you said kind of enjoy the juxtaposition of king Ghidorah being a hero for once it's like if you read a dc elseworlds comic or a marvel what if where they'll switch things on their heads like that, where like the Joker's a hero for whatever reason, or, um, you know, the Green Goblin, and you get that kind of different perspective. I thought that was kind of neat too to play around with. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, those are those are fun. I love those uh, what ifs and the Elseworlds, you know, that DC put out. And um, yeah, I thought that was next to, I think my favorite suit design uh, is probably the Destroyer, you know, the, the, the oh, God, yes. Godzilla yeah. from Destroyer. I think it's just really such a beautiful suit of that era, you know, that's right. really pyramidic shape, you know. Um, but then I, I love GMK and then I'll, I really, really love Shin. That That Shin is just fantastic. a nightmare, nightmare fuel, yes. you know. Um, my only, like, 
I, I love the story. I love the way it was shot. I like how seeing things bogged down on the, on the political point of view. Yes. And I, you know, I love the story. I just wanted Godzilla to do more stuff, to like move more. Instead of being this kind of monolith, he stands there and these helicopters are just kind of like shooting at him, you know, like do something like, you know, right. walk around, you know, be menacing and terrifying and spread that, you know, you got the waddling like turkey coming through the street, <laughs> you know, like do something um, other than just stand there, you know, but that was my only criticism of it, but, but that, that, you know, I love that design. It, it is just terrifying, you know, I, I'd like to see them continue that story in some way. Yeah, I would too. It's it's very nightmarish. Um, uh, the design, I, I get what you're saying, because one thing that usually draws people to kaiju films is that uh, they're more than just big animals. Uh, they usually have some kind of personality to them, which is uh, is really a stretch in Shin. Now, I get it. Shin's more of like an engine of destruction, 54th type of throwback. That's why I do enjoy that film. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, I can I can see the complaint that he doesn't have the personality that is usually um installed in, in godzilla movies or other kaiju movies like that sure yeah i get it so what was it that first drew you into writing like when when you went um, from reader to writer something happens that makes that transition what was it for you yeah it was oh that's a very good question uh so it's it's um kind of incremental steps for me um so uh i think the journey first started was um uh, my mom and dad had split up when we were young and uh, my brother and my sister and I were um, kind of stuck at home a lot. And this is in the days before the internet. So we didn't have like a whole lot to do. Uh, so um, my brother and I would sort of like kind of do these, um, like, hey, why don't you try writing a, a story? So I would do like a monster story. He would do one and we'd just kind of swap them and see what we thought. Um, so that was like where it first started, um, you know, writing stories, but it wasn't really much for anything other than my brother and I, when I was a kid. So I didn't really like, uh, do a whole lot with it. Um, then uh, after I, I really got into writing, um, when I uh, became a teacher, so I do work as a teacher um, for students with autism. So um, you've worked as a teacher too, you know, it's a very um, writing intensive career to be in. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're always writing lesson plans or behavior plans or whatever. And um, on top of that, I started doing um, work for my thesis, for my master's degree. And uh, what I had found was that I needed to take breaks between all that work I was doing. But if I took a break to like um, watch TV or something like that, I couldn't get my mind back into like that high track that I needed to do to complete a thesis or to write lessons or to create lessons. Uh, so I just started writing for fun and it had started out with, um, I would mention the shadow earlier. Um, I came across a shadow website that was just looking for um, some, you know, like fanfics to put up there. So I thought I'll just write a few short stories and, and send it out there. We'll see what happens. And um, lucky enough, um, Shadow Sanctum really liked them. So they started picking them up. Um, I did a couple uh, pieces for them, and then it caught the attention of um, Black Coat Press. Uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, uh, but Black Coat Press uh, publishes out of France. And what they do is uh, predominantly uh, short story anthologies featuring uh, mainly public domain characters. So oh, characters okay. like um, Dracula, Sherlock Holmes, Arsene Lupin, that type of thing. They were yeah. sort of those gray characters like the shadow and john carter and tarzan who um there's a i won't bore your your audience but there's a difference between uh something where the copyrights in the public domain and the trademarks in the public domain mm -hmm. but they'll kind of tread that if they can um so i was uh doing that for a little bit and i uh, i still write for black coat um so i do their tales of the shadow man anthology every year i do a contribution to it and uh 
through um, writing for them, I had uh, written one story involving uh, the Emir from 20 million miles to earth um, and uh, El Santo from like, I don't know if you're, you're a fan of Mexico. Oh film. yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. the Aztec mummy and uh, right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, so um, uh, for, for anybody who doesn't know, like um, in Mexico, El Santo is, he's like Superman and, and the character of the rock combined in, in, in Mexico, like in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. Um, so he was like a legit, legit in quotes pro wrestler uh but he would also do um like b monster movies uh, but they're really fun and oh, uh, yes. anyway, i did a story for that and um they couldn't quite uh fit it into the black coat uh so i submitted to uh, g fan magazine which is um a fanzine for godzilla fans and um they had uh picked it up uh, so they really liked the story there and they asked me to do a couple more um so i did a couple more stories uh for them they were at a time when uh, they were shut down from using Godzilla in their like um, tales. So I was like, well, I can do stories with like Kong and Gamera and the Colossal Man. And I uh, just drew on some of those other um, 50s movies. And, um, and I got to the point where I was also reading a lot of kaiju books. So I had read um, Jeremy Robinson's Project Nemesis. I don't know if you've read that or not. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic read. Fantastic read. It's um, uh, Jeremy's probably the top kaiju author there is out there. Oh. Um, so if you have an opportunity, check out his Project Nemesis series. So he had put out um, a request in the back of his books for fan art, and I can't draw to save my life. Uh, but I did reach out to him and said, hey, um, you know, I do these short stories for um, different publications. And I said, uh, G-Fan in particular has a, a mascot. They have a mascot monster called um, G-Fantis. And I said, I think I could do a short story uh, that takes place in between book one and book two of your series. Uh, where we do it like on a secluded island. So it's sort of a non-event, but it would be an excellent opportunity for um, both parties here to uh, benefit because G-Fan would have, uh, you know, the, the best, most well-known uh, kaiju monster from novels appearing in their magazine. And then Jeremy will get the exposure of being in G-Fan to people who might not necessarily read as much because they're more movie fans, but they'll check out the magazine. Uh, so I wrote that with Jeremy. He really liked it. And uh then I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. I reached out to a couple um, other kaiju authors like uh, Tim Price, who wrote Big in Japan, which is really fun. Mm -hmm. or, um, Todd Tennant, uh, who does the King Komodo online comic strip. And um, K.H. Kohler, who wrote a very neat kaiju book called Raiju. So I just did um, four stories for them for GFAN and crossovers. And uh, it was K.H. Kohler who had said to me, hey, um, you know, you're, you're pretty good at this. Do you want to give it a shot? Um, the company I work for, Severed Press, is looking for uh, more kaiju authors. So I honestly never thought that I was any good. But um, it was like, well, this opportunity presented itself, and I, you know, never like to turn down an opportunity. So I figured, um, you know, I'll take this challenge, see if I can't just write a book, even if it doesn't get picked up. At least I'll know that, like, I, I wrote a full-length novel, and and see what happens. Uh, and it's uh, it's really funny. I, I tell my uh, this story all the time to embarrass my wife, but um. I had a uh, written Chimera Scourge of the Gods and um, I had dedicated it to my two daughters because I thought that like, oh, well, nobody can be mad if you dedicate a book to your daughters, right? <laughs> well, that was a mistake when I left my wife off of it. <laughs> so, um, she had read the, um, like the, the script I turned in and um, we had like a bit of a fight. She's like, oh, you need to put me in here. I was like, I didn't, I didn't think it was like a big deal. I just like put the kids down because they're the kids. Uh, so anyway, I had like a really big drop the mic moment for myself the next day where she's like, uh, you know, in the shower and I like get the email from separate press that they really liked the book and wanted to pick it up. So I like walked into the bathroom and I was like, well, you may not have cared for the story, but separate press did. They just offered me a contract. And then 
uh, left, which also didn't work out well for me to, to, to address the situation that way. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, that was just a little bump in the road. It wasn't a big deal. Did, did you put her in the next book? Then? Oh, well, she's actually, uh, yeah, the next book was dedicated to her. And okay, I, I was to say, yeah. Her. And you got to put a character that's in here, like the most beautiful, compassionate, understanding person in the world. <laughs> well, ironically, um, the book Chimera um, is very much based on myself. Uh, so um, uh, I guess I'll talk about that real quick and then see it, tell you how it kind of snowballed from there. But sure. I'm not being too long winded. Yeah, um, we got time. So uh, uh, Chimera, the idea behind it was um, as a teacher, um, one thing that we learned is it's best if you can connect something to prior knowledge. People are more likely to engage in it, right? Uh, so if you can present a student with something that they already have some background about, they're more likely to be engaged by it, uh, which is why when I was writing Chimera, I was like, well, I want to use um, mythological creatures because um, most of my audience will have a background in these creatures and um, uh, either public domains, so I can use them without like having a big issue about it but I needed to make an original monster. So I uh, was just kind of piecing things together in my head and I wanted a very um, Kong-based monster. Uh, so that's kind of where Chimera came from. Whereas, um, and it's funny because I, I didn't realize it at the time, even though I knew it and people have pointed out to me since in the past, is that um, Chimera is a hybrid combination of um, a mountain gorilla, an African lion and a sperm whale. So he's got like basically the build of a gorilla, um, the skin and tail and face of a whale with the claws and hind legs um and the mane of a lion and um even though i knew it i didn't i knew it but i didn't think at the time people went out to me like oh that's a literal gojira because gojira um translate which is the japanese name for godzilla into gorilla whale and um it wasn't my intention but it just kind of came out that way and it worked and uh i got the idea for the premise and that um as a teacher of students with autism we use a system called applied behavior analysis um which basically means that um, you try to set expectations, then you reward for those expectations. And then if you do that, <clears throat> whatever behavior you're looking for, um, the student will look to do more often. <clears throat> and I took my kids to see um, a circus and they had a lion tamer there. And I was watching the lion tamer and I was like, he's doing the same thing I'm doing just on a more concrete level. Meaning like, instead of like giving out verbal praise reinforcement, it's like, if the lion does something, they get a snack and then it reinforces what they were to do. So I thought like, oh, that'd be kind of neat if I could take um, something I know a lot about in um, teaching and applied behavior analysis and hopefully apply it a cool way in a book um, to a monster. And then it wouldn't just be like the typical um, a monster is either self-driven like Godzilla is in a lot of movies or, um, you know, like piloting a mech type of thing. It'd be something uh, a little bit different. Uh, so I wrote that story with a premise and that like um, the ancient gods in uh, conjunction with like the... Uh, Norse gods and Greek gods and the Mesopotamian gods um, were coming back to wipe out humanity and they're using um, creatures they'd capture across the multiverse to do this, which are the monsters we know from mythology. Uh, and then Chimera was kind of like the answer to that. So he would go out and um, stop these monsters in conjunction with the government. But uh, the person who was with him was a teacher of students with autism, uh, who was like sort of a um, uh, an analog for myself, but a much like braver, cooler version of myself uh, than I am in real life. And ironically, like uh, the, the person's inspiration, Luke Davis, is um, it's his wife and his kids, which like are portrayed, like you had said, as like the most loving, compassionate people ever. <laughs> yeah. So my wife did go back and read the book. She was like, oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> You're forgiven, um, finally. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
so that worked out. But um, Chimera did fairly well, and um, I, I didn't think anything of it. And Severed Crest was like, a, hey, that's doing well. Do you got any other ideas? And um, I wasn't prepared for that, uh, but I thought, okay, well, um, if you want something else, I said, uh, I'd like to do something with cryptids uh, for the same type of reason uh, that I explained with um, mythological monsters in that uh, my fan base will have some idea of what they are and um, I can have a little fun with it. So in this case, I wanted to do um, a story again with something I knew a lot about that I don't know the general public did, uh, which is known as brain-based learning. So a very quick layman's explanation of that would be um, brain-based learning in, is the um, idea that the brain is like any other muscle where if you use it a lot or use a certain aspect of it a lot, it'll strengthen uh, that part of the brain. Uh, so a, a very a easy understanding of it is I'm sure you've heard the term user loser before. Like, right. Oh, yeah. You know, in, in high school, we probably learned trigonometry that we don't remember anymore. Right. Right. Because right. Exactly. We don't use it. Um, but I thought an interesting way to approach this would be what if um, the characters we're looking at had to utilize um, the part of the brain that deals with emotion and caring for others. Uh, so we, I had picked characters who were um, from like a strong military background and loners. And they are basically going to, in this case, sort of like a Pacific Rim, sync with uh, giant cyber cybernetic birds that I've called rocks uh, for my book, Operation Rock. Um, and the first thought by the, the characters in the book is that, well, these people were pilots, so they should be able to handle this until um, the idea comes around that, no, it's not their ability as pilots that makes them able to sync. It's their um, ability to connect with others because they're connecting with this animal. Uh, but in order to do that, they had to build that strength up in themselves. So it was more like um, a character study interacting. And then uh, for the villains, I had like an, uh, sort of like an Indiana Jones type villain from Temple of Doom, uh, where he captured the world's cryptids and he grew them up to kaiju size. And then they would attack various places. And I had these four rocks that could go and attack them. Um, but I do get, um, it's not my most well-read book, but it's it's definitely my most well-reviewed book. When people go back and read Operation Rock, um, they like it the best. Uh, so anyway, but that was doing okay too. So this was like within six months now I'd written the two books and um, Severed Press was like, well, at least you're doing pretty good. What else do you got? And I was like, oh, geez, I, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> so um, anyway, I thought, well, what am I going to do here? Um, and I said, you know what? I've always, I had this thing because we talked about earlier, uh, like I've always liked the 1950s movies for Kaiju, like the Ray Howry Halstons and them and the blob and all these other creature features that I would see. And I thought like, these are all monsters. I, I always wanted to see Godzilla fight, but I never just got it because it's hard to do things like that. And I thought, um, well, I can't do um, Godzilla, but I can make my own character um, who's like a Godzilla homage. Uh, so in this case, I made Atomic Rex. And, um, you know, basically the premise of Atomic Rex is like, uh, he's Godzilla and he lives in a world where there's all these homages to other monsters, again, like them, or on the cover, I insisted to separate press. I was like, look, you got to put Atomic Rex fighting a giant turtle. And they were like, why? And I was like, just trust me, if you put it on the cover, people are going to buy it. <laughs> right, because that was, I mean, I can remember as a kid, like drawing, loving both Godzilla and Gamera. Like right. I remember drawing, uh, Godzilla and Gamera fighting one another like yeah. this just seemed the most natural thing to me in the world like why have they not come together I mean they both have like fire right. you know for for a breath I thought that would be an awesome awesome movie you know yeah. it's just it's a fan's dream matchup right I mean we all yeah. we all really want to see that exactly and um uh, so I wrote Atomic Rex and um in this case it was just more of like an adventure story it didn't have like a ton of the deep thought 
um, that I did in some of my other stories. Although it's always interesting, I, I find that people go back and um, fans are like they'll put deep thought in response, and I didn't, I didn't think I put that much thought into, but they they read more into it, which is great. I'm glad that they do. Yeah. Um, isn't that so interesting anyway, when, Rex, when 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 fans do that? I'm sorry, Matt. Um, no, isn't that interesting when you get that get that feedback from readers and and they are seeing things that for them that are very significant and meaningful, but you know you didn't really intend for them to see. I mean, it's not doesn't that's not a horrible thing, but I, I just isn't that a fascinating? Uh, it was extremely you know, fascinating. Um, in in uh, particular, have you read Atomic Rex or no? I, I I have it. I am sorry. I have not. Um, so no, no, I got no, a copy about, from you. I think I, I think I got a copy from you one year at G Fest, um, but I, I never did. Like, it's okay. I just, just wondering. Uh, so I won't like spoil it to any of you, but there's. Um, yes, please. Several, yeah, several of the characters. Um, I, I, I just wrote them as homages to different um, monsters. You know, like I said, and um, some of the different monsters, people really picked up on stuff. And they're like, oh, and I think that Matt really like you know, went for like the darkest aspects of humanity and making this character and, um, you know, really delved deep into it. And um, like you said, I didn't, I didn't think I did. I'm, I am thrilled that fans make that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I got a lot of feedback about stuff like that, which was uh, very interesting. Um, and then too, like I got a lot of positive feedback um, on the two main characters uh, for that story as well, uh, for the most part, where the one guy's like a military a loner type guy, like from Operation Rock, and um, the female was like captured at first, sort of like an Andaro character. But I tried to make her um, uh, kind of clever and active, uh, so not just like you know, I, I love Faye Ray, but not just like screaming, you know, type of thing. Right? Exactly. Yeah, because she wanted her to be the savvy side of yes. Faye Ray, because you know she's scrappy. I mean, she's you know she's trying to survive, and um, you know, but yeah, but that was like also a trope of the time. You, know, right, you, could, right. you couldn't have the, the heroine be too strong right yeah you because know, then she wouldn't need the man to rescue her you know exactly exactly yeah awesome. I, I tried to make it where um a lot of my books um one of the other positive feedbacks i get um is that uh, i don't do too many stories where it's um like a will they won't they love story like i try to dive into stories where they're um already a couple and hopefully mm-hmm. uh that they're stronger uh based off of each other it's because um I've been dating my wife since I was 15. Uh, so now that I'm 42, it's been a long time since I had to go through a dating process. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, and I think part of the genre, sometimes on certain genres, you just, you know, you just don't want to deal with it. Um, you know, I write yeah. multiple, multiple genres and it's romance is something I just don't want to deal with. I kind of take my cue about romance and those things from H.P. Lovecraft. You know, when if there's a sexual union, then it's going to end up in like deformation or someone's going to become a cannibal or, you know, something's going to happen. Right. And and that's why I like, you know, I, I just don't want to mess with it. Um, although it's funny, uh, you know, I, I have a, a series um, where a couple characters uh so my cozy mystery streets where the couple characters um are just best friends a guy you know abby a main character and her best friend ray have been friends since childhood and my reader response was so when are way ray and abby getting together i'm like what do you mean they're not it was never my intention but right. but readers and you know they saw that they saw him them as being very flirty and to me i was just like wait a minute they're like family you know it's just like yes. you know but knowing that um, I'm playing with those, those ideas in the second story, just because they brought it up to me. I'm like, oh, well, let's see what I can do with this. But I told them day one, like, they're not getting together. So no expectations. But you know, um, no, I, I get that. I, and I like that what that shows 
is that people are investing themselves into your story, into your characters, and then they care. I mean, they care about yeah. things. They, they take on a reality that is, is because when you're writing, there's a reality, a level of reality. I mean, you, you, you know you're doing the act of writing. You're putting down word after word, and there's a conscious effort to do that. But there are times where it just kind of feels very natural and it comes out. But then when it's done, it's, it's kind of like a magical thing has happened. Like, wow, I created this thing that kind of lives on its own in the minds of the readers. And that, that's, a, that's the beautiful thing. That's where the beauty, I think, happens. Oh, absolutely. I've, um, when people ask me who are looking um, to be a writer, uh, so I'll get that a lot where people reach out and say, I want to be a writer. What can I do? Um, and uh, I've known a few people who've kind come along and actually got something published and to see how happy they are. And so I get it. I said, I'm, aside from holding my kids for the first time, like holding a book that I wrote in my hands, like you said, it's, it's such a cool feeling. Like I created this and um, I made this story up. And only that, but people find it engaging and interesting. Um, you know, for the most part, uh, which is, it's, it's just a wonderful feeling that, that can't be described. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, so. yeah, no, I, I totally agree. So um, what uh, to you now, what makes a good kaiju story? Like when you're considering a kaiju story, because we're going to get into your writing and your process and those kinds sure. of things. But but I mean, I, I'm assuming you write this genre because of your lifelong love of monsters. And like you said, you started writing these stories with your brother. But so what makes a good kaiju story? to you well to me like i said i think that the monsters have to have some kind of personality um they can't just be um necessarily a monster on the loose uh so there's a difference it's why i think that uh say like godzilla 98 didn't resonate with a lot of fans uh because it doesn't have a lot of personality um to it so your your monster can't just be a monster in a kaiju story it's got to be a character uh so it's got to have something um that's relatable to it um, it's one reason that I gravitate to uh, Kong a lot is because, you know, um, Kong be, is very much almost like one shade away from being human. You know, he's like even right. more than a gorilla. Exactly. You know, he's, he's close. Um, so for, for my books, like with Chimera, I really try to um, give him a personality where he's, I equate him to being like a four-year-old child in terms of mental ability. Uh, so he's not just reacting, but he's processing and he's thinking and he's making connections both um, intellectually and emotionally with uh, the other characters. Mm -hmm. And then even something like um, Atomic Rex, I try to really give him a, a, a mindset of where, yes, he's very territorial, but you also see him problem solve in a few cases. And um, sort of like the Heisei Godzilla, like for, for fans, when I know like the 90s Godzilla, where like he's, he's not necessarily good or evil, but he can certainly determine when something is a threat. And then maybe if something's not quite a big a threat, he'll decide to work with it to destroy the bigger threat so again trying to give right. uh, that personality there was I still an think, instinctual intelligence there yeah, exactly exactly right yeah and no uh, i get it yeah and then i think uh, you also need engaging um human characters as well uh, so you can't just have um you know the monsters and and not have like human characters that are interesting um or that grow over time uh, mm -hmm. So, but that's pretty much a trope for any type of writing, right? Where like you, uh, you want to have a character who, um, you know, you see growth in that character, um, mm -hmm. both in the story. And then if you're lucky enough across multiple stories. Yeah. And I think it's the beauty of the, of the series format, you know, um, right. I, I love, I always loved series as a kid. And like my three main book series right now are 
are you know my two pulps are at least three books um mm -hmm. and my cozy is a four four story arc i know from the get-go it's just four stories so i i created a longer story arc between the four stories each individual story is self-contained but there are connections continuity to all four right. of them and and you want that sense of story arc um and with pulps pulps by nature are just going to keep on going i mean tarzan right. you're just adventure after adventure after adventure you know right. i'm not i'm not sure if there's a whole lot of what we would call growth in that character or change right but, but he's just in that adventure you know and no I, I i totally get that um so what now that you've, you've done so much in the kaiju genre um are there any other genres that you would like to try next or at some time yeah i've um kind of explored trying to do more of the superhero genre um so i did do um kind of a bunch of uh very short stories with a character called um raptor who's um sort of like a Batman analog, but he's also got like a little bit of like Power Rangers mixed into him and a little bit of Iron Man. Um, so I did a couple short stories with him and then um, I really went full in, um, sort of like a soft reboot, it does still connect to the to two stories I had self-published when I got Raptor picked up by a publishing company um, for a horror story called um, Raptor uh, Retribution of the Revenants. So it, I really tried to make that more of a, um, uh, like a mystery story with uh, some horror elements to it. Uh, so you'll see different um, tropes appear in there. Um, the, the very basic premise is that um, Retribution is again, like a goddess who uh, comes to uh, the city and is uh, reanimating people who are killed and then letting them kill whoever they hold responsible for their death, whether it's justified or not, okay. um, which is where the hero has to step in. So I try to make it like a morality play where it's like there's a difference, you know, the classic difference between justice and vengeance. Uh, but you can kind of see like where sometimes these people are coming from. Um, you know, like maybe somebody wasn't directly um, responsible for their murder, but their negligence led to it. So, um, you know, might have been like, I didn't overtly kill this person. Sort of like yeah, the Spider-Man causing his Uncle Ben's death, you know. Right. And sometimes um, all, all evil needs to flourish is for, for good people to do nothing. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The apathy can lead to a, a world of harm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I did that one. And then I've, uh, I was recently approached by Raventail Publishing to really kind of expand uh, their new horror um, branch into uh, creature features. So um, I wanted to do that again, kind of like with a little bit of mix of, of heroic stuff into it. Uh, so I did um, Agent 666 mm -hmm. is one of the first book I did for them. It's a great cover, and, uh, great title. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And the basic premise of the story is uh, there was a, a child who's uh, possessed by a demon, uh, you know, kind of like the exorcist type deal. But in this case, he the priest could not force this demon out of him because the demon was too powerful. Uh, but they do have, I had did some research and found different holy relics. And one of them was called um, the Chains of St. Peter, um, which you guys can look up. It's kind of a long backstory, but they're holy relic chains. And uh, anyway, I thought it'd be a neat idea of um, what if throughout time there was uh, people who could not have demons removed from them, but by tying these chains around them, the demon could be bound to them. Uh, so the demon becomes bound to the person, sort of like um, Etrigan from DC. Uh, so he can like call the demon out. He can also use uh, the chains as like a weapon, uh, like Scorpion or Spawn. But sure. in this case, whenever he the chains unwrap from his arm physically, it gives the demon more space in his head mentally. Oh, uh, so it's okay. kind of like a balance. Oh, for, wow. So it's, yeah, you've got this Faustian kind of issue yes. like you know how you know and it's just always that sense of like look i need to do this sometimes but the more i do it the worse it's going to get for me 
Right, right. So that's that's always that continual sacrifice on the part of the hero, sacrificing himself for the greater yes. good. Yes. Oh, I and, like um, that. That's that's yeah. good. I thought it was a cool concept, so I like to put that. Yeah. And then on top of it, I like to put in there where this character, um, he has love interest, and early on finds out that she's pregnant, and then he's like, "Is this my kid? Is this a demon kid? Like, should I let this kid come into the world?" So um, his mental struggles with this uh, doubt about what kind of father he'll be, what the kid will be like, allows a demon in his mind even more freedom. So he's dealing with, um, I always try to put a lot of high actions in my story. He's dealing with, like, yeah. um, you know, threats, but at the same time, he's got this mental struggle going on, um, which is interesting to do. Um, and then I did a, a book called uh, The Final Host for Them, uh, which I tried to, um, like you had said, I want to see a continuation of Shin Godzilla, and so did I. Uh, so I tried to make that one sort of like, um, similar themes to Shin Godzilla without having Shin Godzilla. Uh, so um, it kind of starts where Shin Godzilla ends, but with a totally different character. And instead of like um, a, a natural organism, it, it's got to do with nanobots. And then it kind of expands out from there. I don't want to spoil too much about it. Oh, but, no, that sounds, that's, that yeah. sounds interesting. Um, yeah, all, all those concepts. I mean, you are just going busy, busy, busy. So you have so many series going on, so many ideas. What I'd like to get into is this concept of world building, because it's great sure. to have action and great to have characters, but the characters need to have a, a world in which to live. So how do you go about designing your worlds? Good question. Um, whenever somebody asks me this question, I tell them the first thing I do is to set up the physics of the world. Um, so for instance, a good example would be, um, let's just take Superman, okay? So in the real world, Superman lived in our world. Um, the laws of physics say that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So if Superman um, hits like a building that he can knock down, which you know he can, in theory, he should be pushed backwards the opposite way with as much force as he hits the building with. But of course that makes for difficult storytelling. So I try to set it up where, um, you know, fans can understand that um, this is how physics operate in this world. So that, um, you know, if something really large um, enacts force on something else, we won't necessarily see that pushback just because it makes for um, odd storytelling or, um, you know, like uh, the way that I use radiation or energy blasts and stuff like that. It's important, I think, to set those uh, parameters. To give an example from the Kaiju genre, like if you're using gamma, uh, for the most part, gamma is using like plasma blast where it's just like fire, um, yeah. which is destructive. But Godzilla is using like a radioactive blast. Yeah, so, like a um, beam, right? It seems yeah. to go much farther. Gamera's, gamma's at least the you know the Showa gamma had that like a like a almost like getting a um, a nozzle of hairspray and a right. lighter and 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 getting this burst of flame. Whereas in the the '90s trilogy, it was like almost like a ball or yeah, the plasma yes. coming out. Yeah. And then, of course, if, if Godzilla's giving out a radioactive blast, like you had mentioned, GMK does a good job of showing that it's not just the blast itself, it's the fallout from it that's an issue. Right, so I right. think um, when you're, you're writing a monster, that's one of the most important things um, to establish, is that this is how physics will work in this world. You know, um, Then the second thing I try to do is to establish um, the monster's uh, personality and hopefully growth. Uh, so Chimera is a great example of growing because he's a, a creature who learns. So I try to make it where like as the series goes on, you can see that he's more intelligent than he was at um, the beginning. Uh, so that's one of the things I like to do with um, the world building. I also take the approach in, in most of my stories of uh, starting small and building out. So like we'll kind of start with um, a story that's 
uh, localized to an area and that area could uh, be um, comparative. So like in some cases, um, the area is the entire earth, okay? Uh, but then in future stories, we'll see um, you know, different planets or different dimensions interacting. Um, or an example would be like in Atomic Rex, uh, book one predominantly takes place in a post-apocalyptic world in North America. Uh, then book two takes place in what's going on in South America, and then it branches out uh, kind of from there. So I like to do um, the give you a piece of the world and build out. As you know, other authors who kind of like to say, this is my entire world, and then zero in on a character, I, I find that a more difficult way to write. So I try to do like smaller and then build out. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah. is there a particular aspect of your world that you like the most? Yeah, I particularly like, um, if I can do two things, I would say. Uh, yeah. For one, to connect it to um, things that I have a high degree of knowledge about. Like I've already mentioned that I'll try to connect, um, you know, aspects of education and teaching I know into it, um, which uh, I find fun. Um, for the most part, I think my fans do. I will get some good positive feedback on that. And uh, then the other part, I don't know if you do this too, but a, a lot of uh, other writers I do know is um, I'll find, I'll put aspects of myself and uh, people around me into uh, my characters, um, which is interesting uh, because not only does it give a chance for me to, um, you know, tell a story sort of about myself, but it also works as a mirror where like I can uh, look at a character and say, what flaws do I have? And um, can I put them into this character? And then hopefully as the character um, builds, I can recognize what does this character need to do to overcome these flaws? And then conversely, what do I need to do as a person? Um, because this is um, you know, an exaggerated example of me, but these are still flaws that I um, might have and might uh, recognize in myself and try to look, how can I overcome these flaws? Obviously it won't be like fighting giant monsters, but you know, like right. you can find other ways to do it. No, yeah, exactly. I think all writing, eventually is and ultimately is going to be cathartic in some ways or form so uh and and my I, I inject some of myself in most of my characters uh or at least the main ones like you know abby from the cozy mystery uh you know there's a lot of parallels you know she found herself out of a job and she was depressed and so it enabled me to kind of that's how i was feeling after i was done teaching i'm like it kind of allowed me to kind of work through that depression in a way that was very cathartic and, and kind of, you know, healing. And um, a lot of, a lot of stuff came into Gage Black, my splatter Western, there was, you know, pulling in reservoirs of what I love about revenge so much and the purity right. of hate, but allowed me to kind of just, just vomit it all out in right. a way that was just very, very cathartic. And like, yeah, this is, this is me on the page here. Um, so I think no matter what we write, we always bring something to ourselves or of ourselves to the page or people we know, um, you know, in the cozy, the, they're the grandma figures based totally on, on my grandma justice. Right. And, and that relationship that she and Abby have mirror the one that I had with my grandma. And so writing those scenes, you know, she had been gone for, for several years, writing those scenes was very bittersweet. I found myself smiling as much as crying because right. I felt her so close to me. You know, in those times, and I could hear her saying, "Now, Mark Allen, don't tell all my stories." You know, um, <laughs> so it was it was very, but but that wouldn't happen if it was wholesale fiction. You know, you have to right. when you're inventing something, you don't have the the emotional component. So I think it's important, especially in the type if we're writing characters to make them believable or or in a genre that we're trying to delve into those realms of emotional or the connections, relationships. We have to pull from ourselves to to make it 
you know, believable because that's all we have to base on. I mean, we could twist it, change it, but the core, I think, has to come from us. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, yeah, so that would be how I world build. Like, um, start with the physics, um, design a monster, uh, look for character traits within myself that I can um, utilize, um, and then look to build out. And then, like I said, a lot of times I will go with um, uh, prior knowledge if I can. So that's why you'll see things like... Um, mythological monsters and cryptids and homages um, appear in a lot of my books uh, mm -hmm. because it's a already stuff I know and be hopefully things that um, most of my fans will recognize and know or at least recognize like oh this is like a homage to Gamera or whatever sure right right well we've we talked, talked a little bit about that how you said you brought a little of yourself into these characters um, even your parts where you, you're not you know don't like but when you when you come up with your human characters uh, what's the process like for you? Like, do you, are you simply filling in like, well, I need some military people. I need this. Or is there a separate process you go through when creating your human characters? No, I'm, um, it's a good question. Uh, I guess it depends on, on the story. So in some cases, yes, I do need uh, particular characters to fill a role, like a military character or something like that. Uh, so I'll build them up from there. Um, in some cases, it'll be, I had a small role in mind for a character. And as I was writing the character, I really fell in love with the character and um, it has expanded outward uh, from there. So like a good example would be um, from uh, my first Chimera book, uh, Allison is a nymph who becomes um, one of the main villains of that book and then spreads across through multiple books. And that was never my intention. I'd only intended to use her for like part one of the first Chimera book. Um, but as I was writing her, I was like, I really like this character and um fans caught on to her too uh like i just used her in the last um atomic rex and chimera book i did which are even crossovers with other characters and um the fans really have liked her journey as well even though she's a villain they still um like her journey so villains are fun was... villains are great characters oh they're the best you know yeah. i mean they're they're the most fun to write i think um because they don't have the bounds that limit them like you know the history the heroes you know i mean that's that's there's a liberation and a freedom that comes with writing a really good villain um and they're just kind of delicious is a good word i like to use to describe them writing them yeah. and and as was like in my last book which was a, a pulp uh, my homage to the phantom uh called death's head where there's a the villain it was like i you know i i i knew what the villain was i did i didn't i had a name um i kind of had an idea about this villain and i wrote down all my notes you know <clears throat> But then I didn't really fully know this villain until the first line of dialogue came out of his mouth. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. And then from that point, like, I was like, so loving writing this character. And that's what I knew, yeah. like, this book is not going to end with this character, with this villain being killed or like, no, 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 no. This villain has to live on because the villain's too much fun to write. You know, you don't always get a great villain. I mean, that's, right. that's why you can't kill the Joker in the very first story. I mean, <laughs> right. they, they, they keep on trying to kill him off in the Batman movies, but you know, as a necessary means, like, boy, it's hard to come up with a really good villain, um, especially a great foil for your main character. So no, I, I, uh, I totally get that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of like, so, so sometimes I will make a character where like, I want them to fit a particular trope. Um, oftentimes it might be more like, I want a character who can um, express certain viewpoints or emotions. Um, so like I'll develop a character um, for that. And um, usually I'll kind of think of where do I want this person to be um, in terms of their life? 
Like, are they a younger person who's just starting out? Are they an older person? Are they a parent? Are they um, somebody uh, like myself who's, you know, got my kids to take care of, but also my elderly parents at this point, you know, and, uh, and go from there so I can explore that character a little bit. Um, and then uh, like you said, the villains, I, I really like writing um, uh, the villains. And uh, I think that the best villains are um, the most empathetic ones. I'm sure you would agree with that. Like I've always thought uh, that one of the best villains ever is uh, Magneto from the X-Men. Yes. Because if you look back, you can, you can kind of see where he's coming from. You know, you might sure. disagree with You get method, it. You but... understand. Even yeah. Thanos, I think, even though, even right. though he's a lot more, uh, some people say he's cruel, he's being cruel to be kind. You know, like, yes. look, yeah. man, we, we've we've screwed things up. We got to fix this. We got to right the ship. Um, it's a drastic thing, but someone's got to do it. No, I totally agree with Magneto. I've always thought the character was was very sympathetic. Um, and when you find out his backstory, it's like, yeah, man, I get it, man. This is it's no different than any other oppressed minority trying to fight for freedom, trying to fight exactly. for recognition and equality. So immediately your heart goes out to him. Um, so that's, that's, that's I, I try to do that with villains. I try to make um, again the Allison character is very sympathetic um, because she was a in the storyline she was a nymph and um, in in mythology the nymphs are used as, as little more than um, you know slaves to the gods' whims um, for multiple purposes um, and that's what like makes her angry makes her want to turn things over. Yeah. So I've had a lot of people say like, no I can I can see where she's coming from like you know yeah. if I was in that position for for millennia I would be pretty angry too. Sure. Um, so that's a, yeah, that, that would be how I um, develop the characters. Okay. Which of your characters would you most like to have a drink with? <laughs> that's a good one. Ooh, uh, let me think about that one. Um, it wouldn't be Luke from Chimera because that's, that's basically me. Um, I think the character I would, okay, here's, here's a good one. So the character I'd most like to have a drink with would be the um, Emily character from um, my later Atomic Rex books because Emily is um, Chris's daughter, the main character. So I don't super see Chris as like a reflection of myself, um, but I've kind of written Emily as a reflection of where I see my daughter when she's older. So I can kind of see the tra trajectory she's on. Sure. I, I think this is where she's going. Um, so I'm in no rush to get there. Like I don't want to rush her growing up. Right, um, right. But I feel like that would be really cool. But so just like, kind of I, knowing I, she's gotten there and being able to one year, you're looking forward to when you're, able to talk with her as that adult yes. although you're not ready for it to happen you're like no no it, we, we can enjoy the ride it'll happen soon enough exactly exactly uh, i get if, it uh, if i could take this analog for her at that time i think that'd be a really cool thing to do okay nice nice well you've <clears throat> i want to talk about creative process which you've been talking about uh, it, this entire time starting mm -hmm. small building out all these different things so is there anything else about the creative process that you can talk about or um, yeah. I mean, to go from like beginning of the idea to finished product. Yes. Um, something I'll always uh, tell people is um, uh, two components. When I'm writing, uh, like right now I'm doing a couple different projects and my goal is to write a thousand words a day, uh, no matter what that is. And I will tell people, do not be frustrated if you decide this thousand words sucks and I'm just going to throw it out. Um, right. I'm sure you've done that too, right? Where you've written like mm -hmm. a, a section of a book and like, no, this is terrible. Yeah. You know, it's not going to work, but it doesn't matter because you have to write it out because what that could be blocking the creative process. And you could always know, look, I, I, it, this may not work for this, but you know what? I could probably cannibalize this for something else later on. But yeah, at exactly. least you're getting the chops. You're getting mm -hmm. yourself in that habit. Uh, exactly. So it's, it's getting your mind up flowing and you're putting things down and it's okay to see things that don't work. 
Um, I think another big aspect of writing um, in the process is uh, you kind of need to have as little ego as possible. It's, uh, it's easy to say be egoless, but um, I can remember my, my brother is also a writer. Um, he does not write as much as me, which I always let him know, you know, because, you know, we're brothers. <laughs> but, um, right. You have to. You have to be a good brother in that way, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is he older or younger? younger yeah, or older? Sorry? Is he older or younger? He's younger than me. So younger. I definitely okay. have to stomp him down, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. That's what an older brother is supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, of course. <laughs> um, but he's a fantastic uh, a resource for me where I can remember uh, when I wrote my first book and I said, like, you can take a look at this. He said, you know, I love it. But he said, the first chapter sucks. He's like, you got to go back and review the first chapter. And uh, it's not an easy thing to hear, um, but mm -hmm. uh, you do need to take that in and be like, okay, this is, um, this is something I need to get better at. Or, or right. another good example would be um, kind of even posts when I'm done writing a book, I will go back and check out um, fan reviews. So in some cases, um, you know, sometimes some people, and it's okay, they'll be like, oh, this book just sucks. And I'm like, okay, it just wasn't for them. Um, in other cases, people will point out things um, like, oh, I wish that Denyan had done this more. I wish that he had worked on, um, uh, as, as a good example, uh, like grammar and syntax, my first books um, and spelling, they're not as strong as they should have been, um, you know, uh, but I took that to heart and I was like, okay, this is a valid criticism. I can't like be mad about it. It's it's a valid criticism. Right. And I'll try to use it to go back. And um, I have thankfully seen Ben say like, oh, I can see an improvement from his first books um, in these areas. But I think that's definitely part of the uh, parts of the process is like, you've got to keep yourself moving, um, you know, the writer's block can happen. You just got to keep trying to push through it. Um, you've got to be willing to have your work um, reviewed both um, in the process, um, you know, if you have friends that can do it, or certainly if you're working for a publisher, they're going to come back and say, hey, you might need to improve this or that or mm -hmm. um, build up this section. And um, you've got to be willing uh, to do that. I, I've, uh, you know, I've had people, uh, they've asked me as a favor to edit something for them. And I'll say, like, I think this part's no good. And they get really mad at me about it. Um, you know, but I try to tell my cam, I'm just trying to help you out. I'm not, yeah. You, yes. Just... And you have to have a thick skin as a writer. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I went through my undergraduate degrees in creative yeah. writing. So you go through plenty of those creative writing workshops and you learn to have a thick skin. Um, not, not in a way that where you're resistant to it, but like, it doesn't affect you emotionally. If the criticism is coming from a good place and someone who wants right. your success, then you, and if it's someone you trust you, then you have to take it in because so it's easy to get too close to a work. You know, yes. and, and that's why I love about my my reader team. I've got a good five or six people who I who always read my drafts. Like I write the draft. I let sit. I do my revision. Then I send it out to my advanced team. And um, like with the last book, I knew my, my good friend, Eric, uh, you know, gave me feedback on. It and he's like he started off with like, look, you're a really good writer. I'm like, and I'm waiting to hear the butt <laughs> yeah. because I knew there was one chapter. There was there were two things that I did that I knew like, OK. I, I did this like one chapter. I don't think I like it. I don't think it fits. And then there was a decision I made about a, a choice in the plot. And he called me on those two things. And, my, and I, I didn't say anything until he was all done. And I said, those are the two things that I, I wasn't sure about. Right. Um, that because really stuck out to me. So then I made the revisions based on it. I, I, I removed an entire chapter from the from the story because it, it just doesn't fit. Um, and then I changed a major plot line which can change basically, you know, basically the, the trajectory of the rest of the story. Right. Um, but it made for a better story. So, you know, I appreciate that kind of feedback because Eric's a good writer. He's, he's written for, for a long time, a lot of different genres and he likes pulps. He loves all these things. So I trust his voice, you know, to, to give me that feedback and what's needed. And he knows he can be honest with me because like right. I can take it, you know, it's like, it's, I, it's a respect thing. Um, I don't, 
I don't, I don't like you. It's like my ego's not here. I'm not competing with anyone. Right, and if, exactly. if something's garbage, then then tell me so I can make it not garbage. You know? Yeah. That's uh, that's the whole point. Yeah. And I'll often use the analogy um, when people ask me to tell them, I feel like being a writer is like being a golfer. It's something you never master, but you can get better at it as you go. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, every book, you should be a little better. You should feel more confident in your prose and your ability mm-hmm. to tell a story. And uh, it'll usually be reflected. And if you do get positive feedback, people are like, oh, I really liked how you did this. Then definitely mm-hmm. um, take validation from that and look to build off it going forward. You know? Sure. Um, like from, from day one, I've always been told like, oh, Matt, you write really graphic and, and and engaging fights i'm like okay well that's something i'll build off of then you know i try to go right from there. and then your genre you you want that i mean because the, yes. yeah. the fans are going to want to read that yeah that's what they're there for you know like you, you want to build a good story around it but um you know sort of like the meat of that story is going to be like oh i want to see monster fights so you know that's exactly that. right and that was going back to my criticism of shin godzilla you know it's like yeah exactly yeah do something man don't just stand there you know um Right, right. Well, let's talk about your organization a little sure. bit. Are, are you a pantser or a plotter? Um, what do you mean by those two terms? Sorry. Um, well, when you organize, so the term pantser means someone who sits down and writes a book without really, they have an idea about what they want. They might have an idea about the end or the beginning, but they develop as they go. They're writing by the seat of their pants. That's, just oh, that's definitely pants. What I do. A plotter, yeah. a plotter is someone like me who writes down ideas, develops those ideas, puts them in an outline. And I have my outline here, like with my, you know, sometimes I color code it. Um, and I have, you know, my, my current outline for my, my, my current book is like 23 pages, 26 pages, something like that. Um, it still, it sounds like a lot, but I'm writing a 400 page book, maybe 450. So there's still a lot of like room for that invention and, and intention right. and discovery and all those things that have to happen. Um, so you are within a pantser. You just sit down, oh, I have an idea, and then I just, you just start writing. Yeah, I just try to go from it from there. Um, uh, it's probably how I just, uh, you know, approach uh, life in, in general. I haven't taken a lot of uh, uh, courses in, in psychology and stuff to become an educator. I mean, learn about different personality types. So I'm definitely the type of personality where it's just like, oh, I'll give this a shot and see where it goes. Um, so, <laughs> That's uh, great. That's great. Yeah. Very freewheeling. Um, yeah, I try. Um, sometimes it doesn't work out. I don't mean to sound like it's, you know, always it works all the time. No, no. But um, that, if that's your process, that, see, that's true to who you are. And that's the thing. Like I spent, you know, decades in academia as a student, as an instructor, I, I taught English. So I told my taught my students how to organize because academic writing, as you know, has to be cogent paragraphs all forming a coherent paper and so i taught them how to structure a paper i taught them the importance of outlining and say look the more you do on your outline the easier your drafting will be which in that in that case is true i i keep doing that because for me that helps my process right um the thought of now i have approached writing short stories as basically a pantser because you, you've got maybe, you know, 5,000 words or something like that. You can just hit the ground running and just go to town. Um, when you're looking at 100,000 words, that's a that's a different animal, at least for me. Yeah. You know? Oh, I find, um, I, I think, uh, sort of like you, I have to do like a, a lot of academic writing too. So it might be why I take the, the pantser approach when I'm doing my, my uh, fictional writing, um, because then I don't have to use that style. Yeah. And I also find, um, uh, I, I like to say, I'm not always sure where the story is going to take me. Um, so a lot of times, like, I'll have, like, a rough idea, and like I said, like, with the one character in the, in the Chimera stories, like, I wasn't planning to use that character, but it's like, I feel like this character is taking me into, into a direction where she's going to be more involved. 
Um, so, so, you know, we'll do that. Um, and that's, that's kind of where I go. Cause I, um, and again, it's different. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not meaning to, to, uh, you know, shoot anybody down. Who, who no, no, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. That's, that's what um, I like about the show, Matt. One of the reasons why I came, I started doing it is that I've met so many wonderful writers like through Instagram and, and other friends who write. And, and, and I find that it's fascinating how everyone kind of has a different way of doing it we all kind of get to the same place at the end but the way we get there it's just wildly different you know and like me i love a gps you know before back in the day when i traveled i had an atlas you know and some people are just like we're just going to hit the road and just see where the hell we go you know yeah and and, um, and so to so this is like one of the most exciting things about doing this interview format for me is interviewing writers like yourself who i've, I've known your work for years because of gfest um yeah. and it's just like just knowing learning about you as a writer because i know i'm not the only one who does it. it's like some people think you know i get anxious when i hear about the people who pants all the whole novel I'm like i i just can't my brain just like starts like flopping around like a trout out of water but when i tell them my process i could see the same reaction on them They're like oh yeah, yeah i could yeah. i could never out oh my god i could never i can see this visceral like horror come across their face so that's what i find fascinating is like everyone's got a different process and just talking about it i, I find just uniquely wonderful it's, yeah. it's very cool. Um, I'm sure it's an educator you've seen this too, where people learn in, in different formats. Uh, so like for the longest time, I always thought that like um, when I was in school, that things were like you'd have a competition was like a great way to, um, you know, get people and get students engaged and reinforce them because it's fun. Until I became an educator, I was like, wait, there's some people who really hate competition and it scares sure. them. So it's not the best yeah. way for them. It's um, that performance anxiety, right? right we're exactly. being judged and, and, yeah. and right. No, I, I, yeah, it's a, it's a very different kind of, kind of thing. It's probably some kind of or authoritative, you know, a, a parent or right. parental figure or religious, you know, a God or something like that. It's probably, probably connected all kinds of psychosocially into those kinds of things. I, I do think though, this, this might be an interesting um, aspect of storytelling. So one of the reasons that I teach it, the Pantera approach is um, like I'll have in my head certain, um, key points I want to hit the story. Like I want these scenes to be in the story and then I'll just fill in how I get there. Um, prior to when I was born, um, my dad was actually um, enhancement talent for pro wrestling. Um, so, um, you know, he, he wouldn't really know him. He was just like, would be, you know, some mask due to different things. Uh, but anyway, he would always say like, pro wrestling um, is, is telling a story too, you know? Um, and maybe not in what we traditionally think, but they are. And he would say like a lot of times, um, you know, wrestlers would go into a match and because he was the enhancement talent, it'd be like, okay, we're going to hit like this spot and this spot and this spot is my finisher. Um, and then, you know, we'll just kind of fill it in as we go. Uh, so like that mm -hmm. kind of stuck with me. And I thought, well, I can use it. Cause like, I know I want like this battle and this battle and this battle to take place in my story. And then I'll kind of fill in the rest of it on the fly as we go. Yeah. Um, so that, that might be where it comes from. And then like, you know, having heard him say that, like we'd, we'd watch wrestling too. Cause again, Saturday you're watching, uh, wrestling and then monster movies, right? <laughs> or, or vice right. versa. <laughs> no, I, get it. I, I grew up watching wrestling too. I went to see li yeah. wrestling live. Um, I, actually, I did some wrestling when I was in grad school. Oh, really? Um, yeah, my friend Ted Hopgood run, ran the East Coast Wrestling Federation out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. Um, and so when we went to school together, so I, I was, you know, I, he invited me down to be a wrestler, but I, you know, I didn't want to put my body through all that. Right. But my, you know, my character was going to be like the professor. I was going to wear like a, a graduation gown and a big, my big giant paddle. And that was the board of education, you oh, know, like and, and with the, <laughs> my patented finishing move was the final exam. You know, like you failed you know i mean it just kind of writes itself you know yeah yeah yeah. and i'm like and, and so i got it 
you know, and there was one where we were wrestling um, and, you know, we kind of had worked out what was going to happen, you know, because you do. I mean, in, in yeah. the clutches, you can say, okay, I'm going to do this. And you kind of go with it. You, you know, invent as you go. I, so I get that. Um, but, you, you know, have to be careful. With two people, it doesn't always work out because there right. was, I, I, I was picked up a chair to hit him in the back and he stood up when he wasn't oh. supposed to. So when I belted him, I mean, I really, I clunked him, you know, and he, uh, he, he, he hit him in the head and he kind of went down for a little bit. So I had to kind of just preen, you know, like yeah. waiting for him to like, not be so dizzy. Like, oh man, I'm sorry, man. I really, and he, he got, he knew he stood up. He wasn't supposed to, cause I had it aimed right between the shoulders, like right in the, where I'm supposed to, in the meat of the back. <laughs> and then once he recovered, then he was able to, you know, cause I even pulled out my, uh, you know, I, I had the foreign object, you know, um, you know, I did the whole thing. I think it was like a, a wad of paper with some like aluminum foil, you know, wrapped around yeah. it, you know, but, uh, you know, then he was able to like, finally, you know, uh, come to his senses and then we finished the fight, but no, that makes perfect sense. Now to me, now I get it. Now I understand that concept when you put it in the terms of wrestling, Yes. Now, suddenly pantsing <laughs> makes so much more sense Yeah. In a, in, a, in a way. So thank you for that. Sure, um, sure. yeah, I don't feel nearly as freaked out by it anymore. <laughs> so, uh, do you do research for your books? And if so, like what kinds? Oh, ton of research, ton of research. Um, because again, a, a lot of my books will, um, include things that are already established, mythological creatures, cryptid, um, you know, whatever the case might be. Uh, so yeah, a lot of research. In fact, I can remember doing um, a lot of research for um, uh, all the chimera stories. Like I had a good background in, in mythology just because I'm a fan of it, but I did have to go back and look at um, uh, different monsters and stuff. And like a lot of times monsters will be portrayed um, differently um, depending on what Ever you're pulling mythology from like uh an example would be uh, the kraken okay from pretty well known i mean i originally saw it in uh clash of titans clash of titans monster i know yeah. what yeah exactly <laughs> i can still see it coming out of the water i mean it's a yeah. beautiful it's a beautiful monster right and, and then um turn out that uh you know it's uh there's the the idea that it's based in giant squids um yes. so it's kind of like a tentacled monster right and even some of the um the original mythology if you go back even further it's described more like a giant crab uh so i kind of went with like wow. that aspect when i did nice. it in my story um for uh operation rock i did a lot of research on different cryptids um which was fun and um you know i reached out to a couple different uh cryptozoologists who were super nice and, and got back to me and we're like oh yeah this is like uh you know, I, I live in Jersey, so I like a good amount of knowledge of the Jersey Devil. Sure. Um, but, you know, there's other things like the, uh, the escape or lizard man. Like I can only find a little bit on it online, but people mm -hmm. are willing to fill it in, um, which was very cool. Um, and then if anything, I do work to homage, like Atomic Rex is, is a very homage. I had to go back and look up like um, what are some of the characteristics that uh, like the ants and them had? Because I have a character called the colony, which is a stand in for them, which was neat. Uh, that's all very fun research. And then, like I said, too, um, because I do try to incorporate, at least in layman's terms, some things I've learned as an educator, I'll have to go back and re research them to like apply behavior analysis. Sure. Um, or, uh, you know, bring based learning and then make sure that I'm explaining it in a way that hopefully my readers can engage in. Right. And it doesn't come off sounding like a lesson. Exactly. Yes, you have exactly. to know the information and, and give it in ways that just seems effortless. Um, right. And I think as educators, we, we, for me, doing research, I really like that aspect of it because, um, yeah. you know, that, you know, I, the only, I didn't really do any research for my first book, I don't think. Um, no, I did. I had to look up some spices and where they came from, what they were like. But, but for my 
from a pulp western because or splatter western it takes place right after the civil war so i was looking at weapons and you know mail routes you know pony express and stops along the way and a little bit about arizona and and what was going on out in arizona right after the war and you know just those little details so that when i talk about the weapon that he's going to use it's accurate because if someone who's a historical fiction reader yes they they like say oh that 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 revolver didn't come out until 1872 you, you can't have you know i wanted to make sure in those years that i was writing here's what was reality so i totally i totally get that yeah another thing i have to research a lot is geography because i'm doing giant monsters tales um it takes place in different parts of the world and i want to you know make sure that if i'm writing something that takes place in um dallas texas that i know kind of what the area is like and i'm not just you know throwing it out there because people will definitely call you out on that oh um, yeah right if you're gonna say this is on fourth street you're gonna say there's no fourth street in dallas right, you right, know, yes. right? yeah you, oh no no totally totally yeah and and thank Thankfully, we have wonderful search tools that will allow us to do those kinds of things. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. You know, the world is at our fingertips, um, yeah. which is a beautiful thing. No, I, I, I totally get that. Um, it must have been much harder pre-internet days. I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, through. Um, well the, you go to the library and you get a card catalog and you, yeah. you know, find these and you do the hard, hard research. Um, yeah. And I know friends who write fantasy specifically because they don't want to do that research they oh. want to be able to invent stuff because they're like no, 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 I, I don't want to bother with it i don't want to find what's real and so but they just create wholesale like whatever the world reality is they just invent it as they go and so and i said well as long as it's consistent with itself you can say anything and right. it'll 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 fit you know like these these uh, aquatic horses come out of the come out of the water and they can form trees okay whatever right. that's great we accept it you know and as long as it's consistent with itself you know you you just go with it um yeah do you have a favorite time of day that you like to write yeah i'm a bit of an insomniac so i usually write at night when i can't sleep um so if i can't uh -huh. sleep i'll sneak out of bed make sure i don't wake my wife up and then i'll write then um I have two young girls, so like it, it's hard to write sometimes in the um, in the middle of the day when I get home. Sure. Um, or like right now we're recording this, which is right after work for me. Sometimes I'll stay a little bit later if I can and work because it's uh, yeah. you know, not as distracting. But that would be the answer to that question. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I'm a, I'm an insomniac too. It's it's unpleasant, but I'm trying to sleep. I, there are parts of me where like you should go write. Like I don't want to be up. I'm, I, I've only had three right. hours of sleep. I'm trying to rest, but I totally get it. Um, but speaking of distraction, do you like do you like listen to music uh, or anything or television while you write, or do you do you like it completely silent? No, I can uh, I can have background music because I don't always write late at night. So a lot of times, like um, you now the kids are doing whatever, watching TV, and the, the dogs barking, and a thousand other things are going on um so it, it, i i'm able just to kind of you know get that stuff done if i need to um uh it's usually not that i can't focus then on what i'm writing it's just that you know i get a dad before like you know whatever so i have to like bring across and go do it right um uh so no no just distractions aren't aren't tough for me but again i'm a, I, I work with students in autism so like there's always a lot of distracting stuff going on yeah no i yeah i get it i um that's interesting you know because i like having very i have a specific music I, I don't like anything with words you know i want to hear mm -hmm. soundtracks or um you know like 30s music with vibraphone or depending on what i'm writing um but i i kind of need to know that i'm going to have a time without distraction like that's in my mind my mental space gets me into a better place creatively if i think if i think i only have like 90 minutes uh, you got to do something in an hour and a half part of me says well it's just not enough time like i i, I mean i know i can write in an hour um but part of me that 
you know, and I have to probably just squish it down saying, look, you may not always have the luxury of this having a four right. hour block to write. So use the time that you have wisely. Yeah. Um, tell me how you felt seeing your book in print for the first time, your very first book, like when you first held it in your hands, what did that feel like for you? Oh my gosh. I think I mentioned before, next to holding my kids um, for the first time, it was probably the, the coolest thing I've ever held in my hands. I can remember um, Chimera Scourge of the Gods is the, the first book I wrote. And I can remember like opening up the box when it came in and being like, I, I wrote this. It's, it's, um, it was a validation for sure. Um, because I never thought that I'd be good enough to, to, to finish a book, let alone get it published and um, out there. So, um, it's, it's, it's a very validating and reinforcing feeling and um, uh, it's accomplishing something I never thought I could do. Uh, so it was very cool. It was a very good feeling. I, I can't, I, I can't describe it any other way to people. It's very hard. I'm sure you know, right? Like when you first get it, you're like. Yeah, it's weird. Mine turned quickly to horror as I found like typo after typo or other people started finding oh, typos. Yeah. So in my initial run, I'm like, oh, and this went through like five editors, five readers, including myself, an English teacher yep. who should have known. And that's when you realize, oh, okay, what they say is true about you're going to see things on the print, on the page that you're not going to see on the screen. So yes. get get that author proof first then you know that you can move on to it no i i totally get it but but there is something and something that feels more legitimate or real like you're holding it in your hands like i yes. wrote this this is this is something i i kind of gave birth to in a way yeah and you send it out in the world and you because you do other things you know um but but i but i totally i totally get that uh totally get that now, because you've written so many books over the last, I don't know, how long have you been writing? Eight, oh, uh, I eight, want to say about six years now. Six years. Okay. Have you ever read your own book like more than a year after you published it? Like, you know, sat for a couple, three years, you go back and read it again? Only when I'm doing sequels, because I don't remember uh, the story as well as my fans do, ironically. I don't know if you had that problem or not. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but the fans remember way more than I do about my books. Yeah. Uh, so um, I had uh, the Atomic Rats, for instance. I had never intended it for V to be anything more than a one-shot deal, and now we're working on book five uh, because of Colin. Yeah. So <laughs> so I have to go back and research like my my own things. Like oh, what what happened here? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, Chimera Two is an ongoing series, so I have to go back and uh, reread what I had done. Um, but no, like because you know how it is. By the time you're done a book, I've, I've read it like four or five times yeah i still haven't picked up all the typos and things but sure you know, still i've gone through it enough yeah. it's like uh, i don't feel the need to do it again unless i need to go back and refresh my memory about um you know things that had occurred in it yes and um if you're doing it for that yeah i i I, my other books, I'll have to go back and read them. But like, since I'm working on the second of the series and I hadn't written it for a couple of years, cause I'd written three other books in between four other books. Uh, yeah. Three other books. Um, I had to go back and reread it. Cause like I had no, I just didn't remember anything about it. Like yeah. other in general terms, like, and so I was like waiting for the cringe, like, uh, um, and it, it didn't really come that much. I mean, there were parts where I thought, Oh, this is a little schmancy. You need to rewrite this. Or if I could rewrite it, I would, but like, it's not worth it rewriting it. Um, but I thought for the most part, there were some lines like, oh, I don't remember writing that. that that's, oh, like, no. <laughs> that's actually, that's actually not bad, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, I knew I wrote it, but it's like, I had no memory of writing it. Cause when you're in the zone, you are just, it's just coming out. And um, so it was a very surreal kind of experience. So now when I, when I write, cause I had to keep that, 
next to me. I have a, my screen split up into three. I've got my draft in the middle. On my left side is my outline. On my right side is my first book. So I'm remembering like, okay, what what is this character? Like, what do they wear? What do they do? What right. do they say? Or what yeah. was the detail? Like, what street was this place on? I'll try to like do a search, like, <laughs> so if I can find it. Because like, you know, I, I don't remember that stuff. Um, but that's good that your fans do. That's, you know, you can always give them a call, like, you know, call your oh, super yeah. fans, like, hey, I'm having a hard time. What, what was this guy's, what would this person <laughs> <Yes>. do? <laughs> you know, that's awesome. So um, just a few more questions and, and sure. uh, we'll let you get out of here. Um, what is your writer fantasy if you have one? Um, that's a good question. Um, well, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm going to put it out there, and, and hopefully he he hears this. But um, uh, I've been doing a lot of crossovers lately, um, which is uh, it's just fun. Um, it's kind of like um, you had mentioned about like in the wrestling, it's it's different working with another person uh, because um, you know we've, uh, we have only positive experiences, but there's been a few bumps in the road. We've been like, ah. Oh, we different viewpoints now something uh, should come up, but for the most part, it's been enjoyable. Uh, so like I just did a, a crossover just because the fans asked me to with um, the girl character from an online comic. And um, I didn't know uh, uh, Ricky uh, uh, is the creator of it. And um, like I'd reach out to him and now we're good friends. So that was really cool. I'm, I'm doing a project with Andres Perez right now and um, a couple other um, authors along the way. But uh, what I'd really like to do, and my fans ask me all the time, is when are we going to get um, Atomic Rex to fight Jeremy Robinson's nemesis? Uh, so um, if Jeremy's listening, I get a, a daily request from it from some fan. Um, you know, I know, hey, listen, it would do a lot more for me than it would for Jeremy. Okay, that's just yeah. putting it out there. He's, he's a lot bigger <laughs> than I am. Yeah. Um, and But he's a cool dude. We have worked together before. Um, so if we could get an um, uh, Atomic, I, I prefer Chimera. He's my my favorite one, but I know the fans want Atomic Rex. So if we could get um, an Atomic Rex versus Nemesis uh story together I, i'd live for that that'd be my dream okay uh, plus well, he's hey, like my you, maybe he's listening you never know you know you could always tag him yeah if you if i mean if you're friends on social media in any way shape or, shape or form you know I, yeah i mean it can't hurt um it, maybe it'd be, he, he'd be up for that too you know that that's kind of uh that's, that's fun um what advice would you give for anyone who wants to write i mean you've been pretty good at explaining your process but if someone comes up to you and says you know matthew i'd like to start writing how do i do it uh, like I said, I would tell people um, just uh, again. I use the pantser approach. Just start writing things down and um, and take a look at, at uh, what you have. And you have to keep going back to it. It's not something you're going to be instantly successful with. Uh, so you got to stick with it. Um, so I would suggest um, start writing each day. If if you don't like something, you can always throw it out and uh, start over again. You know. Um, Anybody who's good at anything, whether it's writing or sports or any job that they do, um, you know, it takes a long time. I think I've heard that it's usually like seven years before you really master something. Um, uh, so I'd say like, just, just try to write and um, see what you can do. Be open to criticism. You've got to be open to criticism. And um, I have several people who like have been working, friends of mine online who have been trying to write a story for uh, years and, and they just can't do it. Um, so I would say if you're not enjoying it, um, it's not for you. Okay. Like if you're enjoying the process, um, you know, keep going with it. But if you, uh, if you're trying, if you're not enjoying it, but you're looking to validate yourself, maybe it's not something that you want to make yourself unhappy with, right? Like if I, I don't want to write, if I'm unhappy about it, I want to write uh, because I enjoy doing it. Yeah. Cause there, I mean, even under the best of circumstances, I mean, sometimes writing can be a, a, a joy. Most of the time it's not. And it's right. hard, no. it's hard work. People, people don't always understand how difficult and challenging it is to, to write 
let alone write well. Um, and to to write something that makes sense and has internal logic when life itself doesn't, right? Because um, that's that's going to be expected out of a book. Like, hey, this doesn't make sense. Like, well, what does in life? You know? Um, no, I, I I totally get that. Uh, that that's that's good. So, uh, just two more things. So, is there anything that you would like to promote while we are here? Oh gosh, yeah. Um, you know, please check out. Um, you can look me up on Amazon. Uh, uh, Matthew Denian. I have. Um, you know, three books in the uh, Chimera series out, um, five in Atomic Rex. Uh, like I said, I've just started writing for Raventail. So I just put out um, Agent 666 and uh, the final host just came out. I don't even think he's out in paperback yet. It's out in digital. Um, and then plus there are other one-shot books like Marsh Thing, um, Kaiju Core, Operation Rock um, does have a sequel in Operation Megalodon. Uh, so please um, check those out. Um, please uh, follow me on, on social media uh, under Matthew Denning. I do have what I hope is a very uh, fun April 1st surprise coming out soon. Uh, so people keep your eyes open for that. Um, I don't want to spoil it now because it'll be an April Fool surprise. So we're going to wait on that. Uh, but yeah, so please uh, check out my work. Um, you can find it on Amazon or on Severed Press, Wild Hunt Press, and uh, Raven Tail Publishing are the three companies I'm working for. So uh, all right. please check all of those out. Yeah, well, that answered my last question, which was, yeah. no, that's fine, which is where we can find your book. So, no, no, that's, that's great. Um, uh, the other thing real quick, Mark, if I could, sure. I, I, sorry, yeah. I, I do always plug this, is um, myself and a bunch of other um, kaiju authors and artists run the charity Kaiju versus Cancer. I don't know if you've, you've seen that or not around. Uh -huh. Yes, so um, it's, a, it's a good cause. Uh, so what we do there is um, we'll put characters on shirts and uh, we try to homage classic kaiju or superhero posters. And uh, we will sell them, but 100% of the proceeds go to help out kids fighting cancer at St. Jude's. Um, Great you know, cause. Uh, Great cause. Yeah, we had our good friend, um, Chris Martinez, who did um, yeah. uh, Fire Beast Oregon. You might have seen him at G-Fest. It's a fantastic comic. Yeah. Um, can't say anything about it, but uh, do you have it there? Yeah, I miss Chris. No, I don't. Oh, I do have it. Oh, but Chris, you, you... Chris, Chris painted this for me. Oh, did he? Okay, so yeah. you know Chris well. Oh, I know man. Chris. Yeah, and this, he passed shortly after doing this piece yeah. for me. And he said it was his favorite piece that he had done. And oh, before I, I started so crying, he was just a sweet, sweet guy. Um, he, and just, it kind of invigorated him. He just loved doing the pulp stuff. And yeah. he, he, I, he, he just, he didn't charge me a dime for this, Matthew. No. It's like, he just said, no, I want to, he said, just let me, posted on my site let me just go ahead and uh, you know if i sell the original or sell prints i'm like yeah of course you know um so for me having this uh, it keeps him near and and allows me to honor him and yeah. and because it's such a strong cover that i want yeah. people to see you know and the fact that he was so excited about it yes. um, and loved it so much and and i have all the you know iterations that he sent in the drawings I, I i kept them all you know on my phone it's like all the all the interactions that we've had through facebook i just i keep all that because you know uh just he was just gone too soon so no i i think that's a worthy cause and i i yeah anyone out there you know um yeah uh donate buy some books or you know yeah, t-shirts buy um, posters please, and right. help fight cancer right please yeah because um uh, i never forget i was doing a, a podcast with chris and like we we're kind of backstage and he said hey, i gotta tell you something I'm like what well, he, he told me he had cancer and that mm. um, was most likely fatal and i was like man that that is heavy stuff because yeah. chris and i were good friends we talk all the time and um mm -hmm. we did a couple projects together and uh, uh you know anyway um i thought about it and chris was like he was upset he never he didn't have any kids of his own 
Um, you know, you know, he's married to, to his lovely wife. Sure, right. Um, but I said to him, like, hey, man, like, uh, before he died, I said, what if we, uh, what if we do this? What if, um, you know, you're going through this, this struggle, but you can, um, you can help out all these other kids that are fighting cancer. And he, he, it was like, he said, man, that's the greatest thing I could ever think of. Uh, yeah. So we do that um, to honor Chris, um, to, to help out, um, you know, kids with cancer. And I really like the fact that, um, you know, I can reach out to my friends and say, we've made these fictional characters, but we're going to make a real world impact with them in a positive manner. Yeah, I love um, it. So we do that. We haven't had any shirts up lately because um, uh, like the, the companies and stuff we use were shut down by COVID, but hopefully very soon we get more shirts out there. Uh, please check it out on Facebook um, and, you know, we'll have some more shirts up for sale soon. And again, all the process, proceeds go to help out kids fighting cancer. So That's, that's fantastic. Well, Matthew, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Um, it's been great hearing about you and getting to talk with you. Uh, I haven't talked we haven't talked since GFS uh, years ago, um, but it's nice to talk with you writer to writer and hear about your process. And I, I've always, I've always been just um, kind of, uh, you are very prolific. And I'm just like, wow, you know, you're just coming out with another book. Here's Matt's other book. Like, holy cats, this guy's like on a roll. So no, I think it's fantastic. Um, and I just wish you every success uh, on, on all these publishing fronts. And I uh, just want to uh, thank you for being on today. Well, thank you for having me. It's really been a pleasure. Um, I, I love talking to um, other uh, writers and, and um, being able to discuss the process. It's always so much fun. And I, I hope that um, if anybody's out there aspiring that we help them out today. I really do. Um, I hope so, too. On their journey as well. That'd so, be great. Um, thanks so much, Mark. My pleasure. I'm going to do my sign out here and do my commercial and we'll get out of here. You've been watching and listening to Between the Lines. You can listen to us on insaneradio.com, listen to full episodes or download to your device. You can watch us on our YouTube page, which is where you're at. Between the Lines podcast, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you know someone who would like our show, tell them about us. If you're a writer and would like to come on and have a chat with me, email me at betweenthelines54 at yahoo.com, betweenthelines54 at yahoo.com. And, and here's my cheesy outro, Matt. See you next time, Between the Lines.